Previously on Heavy Metal Historian, we reviewed the influence of horror entertainment on metal and studied various metal subgenres. Now we continue our examination of groove metal and move from the formative years of the subgenre and into worldwide success for Pantera and Sepultura. We begin to look through the 1990s at other acts that claimed the groove metal torch and progressed forward with the style. We look into the emergence of groups like Soulfly, Down, Machine Head, Chimera, Prong and more as we dive into the rise of groove metal. Welcome to episode 50, I am Greg Davies, your heavy metal historian. It was the 1990s and notwithstanding the widespread popularity of grunge and the underground alternative of death metal, Pantera and Sepultura were groups that were defying odds. Establishing groove metal as a style with the assistance and support from other bands like Exhorter, Fight and Anthrax propelled both Pantera and Sepultura towards international success. And as we'll see, not only did groove metal become a prosperous subgenre that influenced the development of future styles, it was also a breath of fresh air for many older bands as well. Many bands, that is, who would adopt elements of the feel and atmosphere and groove into their own sound. For one of the most formative bands in the beginnings of groove metal, Exhorter continued strongly after their debut release, Slaughter in the Vatican. As they continued further, their live shows and no-bullshit attitude were a winning combination for fans of the developing subgenre. The band sustained forward with a second release in 1992, entitled The Law. Upon the release, it was immediately noticeable that the band was moving further into groove metal terrain. Sadly, after touring for the album, Exhorter disbanded in 1994, but their legacy left behind the beginnings of a new subgenre that would have a long-lasting impact on heavy metal overall. Elsewhere, despite releasing their most successful album to date in the form of Roots, Sepultura was beginning to divide. Strain was showing between Max Cavalera and the others, with contention surrounding the role of his wife Gloria as the band's manager. In spite of the fulfilling evolution the band had begun with the Beneath the Remains album and the musical identity they arrived at with Roots, Max departed from the group. 
indomitable and not willing to lose ground, Max Cavalera rapidly put together a new group to further develop his unique musical sound that he had established with Sepultura on Roots. Employing that album as a springboard to start from, he dubbed the new project as Soulfly. The outfit was the beginning of Cavalera's most prolific period as a songwriter and artist. He began merging the elements of groove metal even further with traditional Brazilian music and other forms of world music. Since establishing Soulfly in 1997, the group has released 10 albums, and their first two releases, the self-titled debut and the follow-up entitled Primitive, proved beyond any shadow of uncertainty that Max Cavalera was here to stay. Following the setback involving Max's departure from Sepultura, the Cavalera brothers discovered themselves in a difficult relationship and were not on speaking terms. The strained division that formed would not be resolved until the two would reconcile in the 2000s, ultimately leading to the formation of the Cavalera Conspiracy. In spite of the negative split, Igor Cavalera chose to continue forward with Sepultura, with vocalist Derek Green joining the group in 1997. The band moved forward, continuing a groove metal progression from the success of the Roots album. Their fanbase would, for the most part, continue to follow the band with great dedication. However, this would commence the decline of success for the outfit, with Max Cavalera's accomplishments with Soulfly eclipsing the progress of Sepultura. No matter the hindrance, the outfit soldiered forward, releasing their first album without Max in 1998, entitled Against. Though harshly criticised in reviews, the album was welcomed by hardcore groove metal fans, who were treated not only to the new sound of Derek Green's vocals, but also to cameo and guest appearances from musicians such as Mike Patton from Faith No More and Jason Newstead of Metallica. Divide. 
Although Sepultura struggled with their rift after the Roots album, for the other founding band of groove metal, the decade truly belonged to them. Pantera, following the release of their seminal vulgar display of Power CD, quickly rose to become the favourite metal band for most fans during the early to mid-90s. As death metal was bubbling below the surface as a heavy dissident influence, Pantera found success internationally, and surprisingly, with very little radio airplay. For the most part, the band's fame spread through word of mouth, along with their reputation as being one of the friendliest and welcoming musicians out there. Guitarist Dimebag Darrell became known for his heavy networking with other artists, becoming close friends with the likes of Rob Halford, Sebastian Bach, Dave Mustaine, Scott Ian, Dave Grohl, David Allen Coe, and many more. Along with their high-spirited and rowdy behaviour on their home videos, Dimebag and Pantera became an extremely beloved band at the time, as not only were the band very accessible for other musicians, but even more so for their fans as well. Following the success of Vulgar Display of Power, Pantera moved into a harsher domain with the progress of the Far Beyond Driven album. Released in 1994, the release featured not only a continuation of the groove metal they established on the previous album, but numerous other songs that were far more abrasive. As tracks like Good Friends and A Bottle of Pills and 25 Years edged over the brusque experimentation, other numbers like Becoming and Five Minutes Alone continued the band's groove metal evolution. After a successful international tour, Pantera returned to the studio and finally released The Great Southern Trendkill in 1996. Considered a return to form by many fans, the album saw more groove metal progression, but also included more melodic experimentation. Suicide Note Part 1 was an acoustic number somewhat odd for a Pantera album at the time, while Floods had an opulent texture that was almost progressive in nature. Despite the praise from critics and fans on the release, out of sight, things were starting to strain. After the vulgar display of power tour, Phil Anselmo began suffering from a degenerative disc disease in his back. As a result, the singer turned to alcohol and painkillers to handle the chronic pain, and eventually fell into heavy heroin use during the recording of Far Beyond Driven. By the time the Great Southern Trendkill album had arrived, a fracture was beginning to develop between Anselmo and the band members. This came to a zenith with him recording his vocals for the album separately from the group in another location. The developing rift would begin to shape the future of groove metal and of the existence of Pantera itself.
while a rift was beginning between Anselmo and the rest of Pantera, the 1990s also saw the vocalist fall into his most prolific period, musically speaking. Outside of his main role in Pantera, Phil also moved into his own doom metal and sludge metal project under the name of Down, made up of musicians from Corrosion of Conformity, Goat Whore, I Hate God, and more. The concept, initially a diversion to celebrate and focus on the harder-edged New Orleans music scene, evolved into a band that would merge the rudiments of doom metal and sludge metal with a hard, groove metal foundation. The resulting sound was initially met with mixed reactions from fans, but the band has since developed a solid cult following. Unsatisfied with just two bands, Phil Anselmo also jumped into a third that would become known as Superjoint Ritual. Following in similar footsteps as Down, Superjoint Ritual was at first a comparable project in that it saw the group merge elements of Sludge with Groove. Later to be joined by the renowned Hank Williams III, Superjoint Ritual eventually added more hardcore punk elements too. As a result, the band would become a huge influence for the future development of Metalcore, but in conjunction with Down, Superjoint Ritual would also act as a formative influence in the eventual rise of a style that would become known as Southern Metal. Anselmo's journeying into other bands highlighted the emergent style of Southern Metal, but it also revealed the close relationship that Groove Metal acts would have with the sludge metal scene and sound. Groups with material that fit within the confines of sludge metal, such as Melvin's, Acid Bath and I Hate God, began also tinkering with components from the realm of Groove Metal in their own music too. But no other band benefited from the crossover connection between Groove and Sludge than Crowbar. Originating from New Orleans, the group was founded by Kirk Winstein. They first came to the attention of metal fans when Pantera's Phil Anselmo kept name-dropping the band in interviews and during live performances. Though Crowbar's origins lay firmly in the doom metal roots of sludge metal, as their sound evolved, their music eventually became a hardened hybrid, marrying the harshness of sludge metal 
with the extreme punch associated with groove metal. decade progressed, the influence of groove metal became so widespread that many groups followed the sounds and styles of Pantera, Soulfly, Sepultura and Crowbar in a stimulating copycat period. The groups that benefited mostly from this development were those who came from the thrash metal scene of the 1980s, and perhaps none more so than Anthrax. After the departure of vocalist Joey Belladonna in 1991, Anthrax was joined by Armored Saint singer John Bush. His rough vocal edge brought a distinct timbre to the group, forcing the band to evolve even further. A transitional sound was accomplished on the 1993 album Sound of White Noise, but by the time the later album Stomp 442 and Volume 8 were released, Anthrax was clearly in groove metal territory, releasing material that featured guest guitar work from Dimebag Darrell himself. Although for Anthrax the move into groove metal territory felt part of a natural evolution, many other thrash bands began finding some relevance in the scene for their own sounds. Overkill and Testament experimented by adding harsher elements of groove metal onto their 1990s releases, while German group Creator also found some influence from the style. Elsewhere, thrash legend Slayer began incorporating elements of groove metal on their Divine Intervention release in 1994. Later, 1998's Diabolus in Musica featured heavy influence from both groove metal and nu metal. 
and despite falling into more of a hard rock style during the 90s, even Metallica found a little relevance in groove metal as well, adding a taste of the style to a couple of their songs from the Load and Reload CDs. As we highlighted last episode, while Exhorter, Pantera, Sepultura and Soulfly pioneered the feel and sound of groove metal, the scene really didn't become an established style until it was embraced and endorsed by the metal god Rob Halford of Judas Priest. Forming the band Fight, Halford carted on board the groove metal sound with the band's debut, War of Words, and set the scene for the style. Halford endured forward with Fight, as well as an industrial experiment called Two, in which he collaborated with Trent Reznor. Fight released one more album, A Small Deadly Space, in 1995. Whereas it showed a more mature development for the group, it would be their final release, but it's important to note that Rob's experiences with Judas Priest, Two, and Fight would all crest in his later solo band, simply titled Halford. Nevertheless, Rob Halford left an extremely important stamp on the style of groove metal, and Fight's material still stands as relevant today as it was when it was released in the 90s. With Rob Halford and Anthrax, as well as other thrash acts, adopting the sound and feel of groove metal, it commenced a period of time where many other bands, somewhat surprisingly in some cases, followed in their footsteps. 
Skid Row's final album with Sebastian Bach, Subhuman Race, in 1995, showcases hefty Pantera influences, while Warrant explored grunge and groove metal stimuli on their 90s albums Dog Eat Dog and Ultraphobic. Progressive thrash outfit Nevermore experimented with adding groove metal propensities with several of their 90s albums also, such as on Dreaming Neon Black. But perhaps the first surprise came in the form of Motley Crue's self-titled release in 1994. Subsequent to vocalist Vince Neil's departure, Crew joined forces with new singer and guitarist John Karabi from The Scream. The end result was an abandonment of their glam metal sound and image, and a trip into a much darker side of the band that was heavily influenced by the harsher edge of groove metal. like Flotsam and Jetsam and Voivod likewise began integrating groove metal into their identity during the decade, pushing forward to some further experimentation and progressive material from the outfits. And King's X also incorporated elements of groove and grunge on their 1990s albums as well. And even though Alice Cooper would find he would be diving into the groove metal sound with his Brutal Planet album in 2000, he would be beaten by his shock rock contemporaries Kiss before reuniting with original band members Ace Frehley and Peter Chris, Kiss recorded an album with the lineup of Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Bruce Kulick, and Eric Singer. Containing some of the most collaborative efforts put forward by Kulick and Singer on any Kiss album to that date, Carnival of Souls became a sadly marginalized release during the 90s. In spite of this, perhaps one of the most influential bands towards the evolution of groove metal found themselves influenced by the style itself. And the album is without doubt the heaviest ever to be put out by Kiss.
Several other bands ventured into the realm of groove metal during the decade, establishing it further as a very significant subgenre of metal. Hardcore outfit Prong noticed the style to be a natural fit while also mixing in industrial metal leanings into their music as well. And Corrosion of Conformity also found close relevance with groove metal, mainly with their strong leanings towards sludge metal and the emerging southern metal sound. Elsewhere though, following their pivotal industrial metal album Soul of a New Machine, Fear Factory began developing their musical identity further, adding in components of death metal, thrash and groove metal into their industrial leanings. The end result was the 1995 album Demanufacture, considered a heavy metal classic and regarded as one of the outfit's best releases ever. of existing bands both adopting groove metal sounds and making significant contributions continued even further. White Zombie seized elements of industrial and groove metal and added them to their noise rock foundation, while Rob Zombie continued the evolution into his extremely fruitful solo career as well. Christian metal acts making significant steps into their own musical advancement also adopted elements of groove metal. One particular example is Living Sacrifice, merging their mortification-influenced sound with hardcore punk and the style of Pantera and Sepultura. On the other hand, Zach Wilde, still playing guitar for Ozzy Osbourne, ventured into new territory with the Black Label Society project. Initially an instinctive evolution from his own solo work, Wilde's Black Label Society took heavy influence from Pantera while showcasing the musician's unique and distinct guitar tone and playing style. Along with the works by other bands in groove metal and sludge metal, Black Label Society would contribute greatly into the evolution of Southern metal. Oh, 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 
Conversely, a number of newer bands appeared during the 1990s that took the pioneering work of Pantera, Exorder, Soulfly, Fight and Sepultura and moved forward with their own elucidations of and evolutions into groove metal. The first major band to do this was Machine Head. While the group technically did consist of musicians formerly of the thrash scene, most notably from the underrated group Violence, the band itself was founded in the early 90s in search of a new course. Inspired by the works of early Pantera and Sepultura, Machine Head stepped forward into a new era of music, being one of the first groups to follow in their steps with an original outfit. Slayer drummer Dave Lombardo also began exploring side projects during the 90s. One he founded was Grip Incorporated, a band that was specifically formed to examine the groove metal sound. With the musicians' background in thrash and influence in black metal and death metal, it was an inherent progression that saw the band release four full-length albums plus an EP. Meanwhile, over in Nevada, Hemlock was founded around 1993 in the Las Vegas region. Having played live shows with the likes of Slayer and Soulfly, the band set a heavy touring schedule, often playing nine months out of a year. And although this little morsel has been up for debate among metalheads for years, there are several that claim and believe that Hemlock was the first band to use the Wall of Death in mosh pits during concerts. Whoa! 
In the United States, groove metal propagated strongly throughout the underground and in some cases into commercial success. San Francisco outfit Skin Lab formed in 1994 and moved on to release four albums throughout their career. The band known as Pissing Razors would be formed by brothers Danny and Eddie Garcia and would gradually evolve into a groove metal identity that found them gather a dedicated legion of followers. Meanwhile, groove metal began propagating worldwide. Over in Hungary, and founded in 1993, the group Ectomorph began exploring groove metal sounds layered over an alternative metal foundation. While in Australia, extreme metal group Damaged merged the Pantera-styled sound of groove metal with grindcore and brutal death metal, advancing a style that can only be described as an insane assault on the senses. Towards the close of the 90s, a number of groove metal groups emerged that would not only put their stamp on the subgenre into the 2000s, but also onto metal overall. Founded in 1997 in France, Dagobah would mix elements of industrial and melodic death metal into their sound. Meanwhile, fellow countryman Gojira would be formed in 1996 and push their groove metal sound into more technical and melodic territory in the 21st century. Stateside, Chimera would carry the groove torch into the 2000s, paving the way for further developments into other scenes as well. Likewise, the band Mudvayne would take their influences from alternative metal and progressive metal to develop their own take on groove metal, undertaking several important steps that would shape the future of the subgenre. <laughs>
significant influences on groove metal bands rose during the decade that would bear important sway on the eventual development of the new wave of American metal. First, the harsh thrash of early Meshiga from Sweden, their later development into progressive metal, and their origination of the style to become known as Gent would prove to have a universal inspiration on metal overall, but especially on groove metal. Likewise, multi-instrumentalist and progressive artist Devin Townsend from Canada would prove to be entrancing to a vast amount of metal fans and musicians correspondingly, while his collaborative effort in Strapping Young Lad took the brutality of all strains of extreme metal to a new level. However, one of the other highly successful influences on the rise of groove metal and its future would be an outfit from Virginia. Founded in 1994, the group was initially named Burn the Priest and commenced a focus on merging their common musical interests, including groove, thrash and progressive metal, hardcore punk and crossover elements. In doing so, the group would eventually come to develop such a unique musical identity they rose to massive success in the 2000s. The outfit would owe much of their achievements to the same journey as Pantera, deprived of airplay and mostly spread through word of mouth. The band would be considered the main forefront of the new wave of American metal movement, but not before they would change their name. That group is Lamb of God.
What also needs to be mentioned at this point is that several other subgenres rose out of the influence of groove metal, and they grew into fame while still keeping the rudiments of groove metal as their infrastructure. One of the first groups to enter this period was Slipknot. With a substantial reliance on inspirations in extreme metal, but a desire to develop an image fit firmly within the realm of shock rock, Slipknot would eventually be grouped into the new metal scene, being one of the first outfits to bring aspects of groove metal into that specific subgenre. As new metal entered into becoming the mainstream favoured subgenre of the late 90s, many hardcore metalheads experienced difficulty in embracing this new style. As groups like Limp Biscuit were bringing rap elements to the table, outfits like Disturbed were bringing something totally different. Along with other bands like Korn and Linkin Park, the new metal scene was less consistent about its sound. If anything, the label is more comparable to subgenres like the new wave of British heavy metal or grunge where the title is rather a grouping of bands that came out during a specific era, rather than what their unifying sonic traits were like. That said though, like Slipknot, several other bands emerged that would carry groove metal basics into this new scene, which were sharply dividing metal fans. Wayne Static and Static X would consolidate the abrupt riff-o-rama of early groove metal into their style, while Rob Zombie's younger brother, Spider One, would follow in his siblings' tracks by adopting an industrial and groove feel into his music in Power Man 5000. And elsewhere, Drowning Pool from Texas would continue the groove metal voyage started by their idols Pantera, celebrating the mosh pit with their now classic anthem, Let the Bodies Hit the Floor.
While it didn't flourish into its full commercial success until the 2000s, the early roots of metalcore were beginning to bloom, and groove metal would be of significance to the development of the style. Seizing the determination of Phil Anselmo's demeanour in Pantera, Down and Superjoint Ritual, vocalist Jamie Jaster would merge groove metal with hardcore punk, and fundamentally make formative steps into the origins of metalcore in Hatebreed. Likewise, Unearth would be formed in Massachusetts in 1998 and in their early days merge groove metal with hardcore in developing their own metalcore sound. And over in California, Straight Edge Outfit Throwdown emerged in 1997, keeping groove metal roots as their footing. Pantera bore witness to the style they helped establish, they also faced further difficulties within. Phil Anselmo's narcotic use declined during this period, though he was still using heroin even after an overdose in 1996 that saw him go into cardiac arrest and subsequently die for up to five minutes before being resuscitated by paramedics. In spite of this, tensions did ease a little for the group to re-enter the studio to record what would become their last album. With reinventing the steel, Pantera lyrically celebrated their fans, but also their success. Songs like I'll Cast a Shadow explored how they aided in creating the groove metal subgenre and how grateful they were for their influence on heavy metal overall. Yeah. 
Following the release and positive reaction to Reinventing the Steel, Pantera hit the road on tour only to have their international leg cut short when they became stranded in Europe due to the 9-11 attacks in 2001. Upon returning to the US, a misunderstanding settled into the group that would fester into bitter resentment. According to the Abbott brothers, Anselmo needed to take a break for a year. Anselmo, on the other hand, has since stated that he wanted to focus on his down and superjoint ritual projects as a form of a break from Pantera. Whatever the case, the misinterpretations blew out of proportion and the previous resentments resurfaced among the band members. But this time, instead of remaining private and hypothetically resolvable, Anselmo went public. The band members would take shots at each other in interviews in metal magazines. Convinced that Anselmo had abandoned the group, Dimebag and Vinnie Paul dissolved Pantera, essentially breaking up a 20-year career. Despite this, the Abbott brothers regrouped and united with musicians Pat Lackman and Bob Zilla and established their new chapter in groove metal in the form of Damage Plan. Anselmo persevered with his own projects, including in works like Arson Anthem and Viking Crown and Necrophagia, Vinnie and Dimebag found revitalization with Damage Plan. Pantera bassist Rex Brown moved forward into working with groups like Crowbar, Cavalera Conspiracy and Kill Devil Hill. Though Pantera was over and done with, the fans would at least be able to follow the former members into their own projects. And although things were looking up for Dimebag Daryl and Damage Plan, Tragedy was just around the corner. While Don McLean would assert that February 4, 1959 would be the day the music died in his song American Pie, for countless metal fans waking up on the morning of December 9, 2004, it felt like this was the day that groove metal died. But that is a story for another time. And now it's time for a prehistoric mosh. 
as rock and roll moved into the era of heavy metal, many of the early metal bands would be praised by groove metal musicians as motivations, including Led Zeppelin, Uriah Heep, Deep Purple, and Blue Cheer. But the one constant group that held the most resonance for these future musicians was Black Sabbath. Frequently cited in some of the music by bands in the groove metal subgenre, for them, Black Sabbath was the first of the heavy metal bands to push forward into the basis of their sonic identity. Yet also, other bands that would appear to influence groove metal would likewise find Sabbath to be a big motivation too. A look into the group's song War Pigs as one example, you would discover that outfits influential to groove, such as Sacred Reich, Faith No More, Overkill, Bathory and more, have all done their own rendition of the song, and in turn, influenced musicians such as those that made up Pantera and Sepultura. From their album Paranoid, here is your prehistoric mosh on War Pigs, one of the most momentous Black Sabbath songs that would move on to inspire the rise of groove metal. Let's take a listen. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Wash minds. Oh, larger.
And now, let us have a look at This Week in Metal News. Eric Shute, frontman for New York City death metal outfit Pyrexia, was arrested this week on a triple homicide charge. Shute is accused of shooting three men in West Virginia over a dispute about firewood. A fourth person, who has not been identified, escaped unharmed. Shute then fled the scene before he was apprehended in Pennsylvania. In a since-deleted Facebook post provided to New Jersey Advanced Media, Shute writes that his act was self-defense and that his victims stole over $20,000 of his property. More than 70 people were injured after a lightning struck the Rock am Ring Festival in western Germany for the second straight year. The organizers confirmed that at least 42 festival goers were transported to area hospitals, including eight people who sustained serious injuries. Performances resumed after the weather calmed down. Opeth have finally announced they are moving forward with a new album. Having signed to Nuclear Blast Entertainment, the progressive metal outfit's next release is entitled Sorceress and is expected to be out by the end of 2016. The signing will allow Opeth to release their future albums via their own imprint called Motorbelaget Records. Also in the new signings department, Arizona death metalers Gatecreeper have been signed to Relapse Records. Inspired by the likes of Dismember, Entombed Bolt Thrower and more, Gatecreeper will be putting out their debut release, Sonoran Deprivation, in the fall of this year. The band's previous releases are still available at Bandcamp, and their music videos are also still streaming on YouTube. In the week of Gojira's new release, the band has put their whole album, Magma, on the internet for streaming online. The follow-up to 2012's L'Enfant Sauvage has been highly anticipated by metal fans. Featuring songs like The Shooting Star and Silvera, Gojira's new album has been cited as shorter than the band's usual fare, but with far more emotional impact. Classic Canadian metalers Helix have decided to take on Gene Simmons. In an interview that generated controversy among metalheads online for months, Simmons of KISS stated that rock is dead. Several other metal artists rebutted Gene's claims, but Helix took it one step further by writing their response to Simmons in the form of a new song. Entitled, Gene Simmons Says Rock Is Dead, the new song is accompanied by a brand new music video featuring an impressive Gene Simmons lookalike, complete in makeup and full 1977 Love Gun costume. The video is available to view at the Metal News subreddit. Hard rock collective The Dead Daisies have a new lineup, including John Karabi of Motley Crue and Union and Dougie Aldrich of Whitesnake and Dio, and are prepping for the release of their next album, Make Some Noise, coming out in August 2016. The Dead Daisies were a project begun by John Stevens and David Lowy, and has since had a rotating roster of musicians joining the project at various times. A new song from the album has been released as a music video, which is called Long Way To Go, and can be viewed over at the Metal News subreddit. Shock rock musician Rob Zombie has released the trailer for his long-awaited horror movie called 31. Delivering a tone that feels like Saw and Hostel meets the House of a Thousand Corpses, the feel of the trailer is classic horror at its core, giving an idea of the plot being some kind of sadistic gladiatorial maze monitored by psychotic clown-like people. 
Demented and Disturbing Rob Zombie's 31 will be released domestically in the United States in September this year. Moon Sorrow, the pagan folk metal band from Finland, successfully funded their proposed documentary via Indiegogo. Called Home of the Wind, A History of Moon Sorrow, the documentary will look deep into not only the history of the band itself, but how the history of music in Finland influenced them. The concept of the documentary was one devised by and developed by fans of the band. Now that the Indiegogo campaign has been funded, the long-awaited documentary can finally be made. And finally, in other news, Axel Rose from Guns N' Roses and now ACDC is attempting to take legal action over an unflattering image of himself on the internet. Destined to fail before the news even hit print, Axel is one of many celebrities who have attempted to scrub something about themselves on these interwebs. The photo taken at an odd angle at the wrong time, or perhaps at the right time, depending on your point of view, the image does make him look a little chubby. In fact, the most recent meme surrounding the photo reads, Take me down to the barbecue city, where the ribs are greasy and the fries are crispy. Oh, won't you please pass the rolls. All of the links for the news items can be found in the show notes for this episode over at heavymetal666.com. And if you discover any awesome metal news you want us to mention on the show, please share it with us over at the Metal News subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash metal news. On the next Heavy Metal Historian, we revisit the tragic night of December 8, 2004, the fallout among bands and fans the following day and the aftermath of the event. But just as importantly, we discovered that perseverance in music can help in at least the partial healing of wounds that can never fully heal. From the final live performance of Damage Plan to the advent of Hell Yeah and into the rise of the new wave of American metal, we take a look into the status of groove metal from 2004 to today and onwards. We close our examination of the subgenre and dig deep into the future of groove metal. Subscribe to Heavy Metal Historian at iTunes or Stitcher. Like us on Facebook or follow us at Metal Podcast 666 on Twitter and Tumblr. Send us a message at metalpodcast666 at gmail.com if there are subjects you'd like Heavy Metal Historian to investigate or recount or if you have any questions you would like for us to answer on a future episode. We'll catch you on the next Heavy Metal Historian, Hails and Horns. Until next time, the most thought-provoking aspect about groove metal as a subgenre is that it doesn't necessarily follow the same chronological pathway of most other subgenres of heavy metal. That is to say, thrash was a response to the new wave of British heavy metal, death metal was in response to thrash, and some black metal was a reaction to or against death metal. As opposed to this, Groove Metal's emergence was based upon the evolution of two metal bands that came from very different backgrounds, Pantera and Sepultura. For this edition of Heavy Metal Historian, we turn our eyes back to the first days of Sepultura. Emerging from the heavy influence of Kiss and Motorhead, and then into a considerably heavier influence from early black metal and the thrash movements of the 80s, the group made formative steps that would also influence the eventual spread of death metal. Here's their first song from their very first EP in 1985. Well before the groove metal of Refuse Resist or Roots Bloody Roots, here is the title track from Bestial Devastation as our closing headbanger.
Heavy Metal Historian is a non-profit podcast produced and presented for educational purposes. All music and clips are copyright to their respective owners and are used in the podcast under fair use guidelines. No advertising is presented in the podcast or displayed at its home website, heavymetal666.com. If you hear this podcast and find it has advertising injected into it by a podcast service, please consider listening directly at heavymetal666.com. All items presented are done so out of love for the heavy metal genre. It is a show put together by a single metalhead 
for all metalheads everywhere. No money is made in the production of Heavy Metal Historian. Donations are also not accepted. Instead, we request you go out and buy some metal albums. Or even better, support unsigned metal bands at sites like bandcamp.com or support your local music scene. It all starts in your hometown.